This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C. And this is The Breakfast Grill. Now, unless you were doing a media or digital detox this weekend, you probably are aware that our Prime Minister, the Sri Anwar Ibrahim, has retabled Budget 2023 in Parliament last Friday. As part of our special coverage that tries to outline the fiscal priorities of the government, today we get into conversation with Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas, and So Lian Singh, Head of Tax at KPMG in Malaysia. Now, we are still waiting for Dr. Trisha Yeo because she apparently went to the wrong office, but we'll start with Lian Singh. Very welcome, good morning, and welcome to the studio, Lian Singh. You had a weekend to dissect the budget, but I just want to get your thoughts right. When the Prime Minister was beginning to table out this budget, what were your initial impressions? Yeah. Uh, good morning, Nicholas. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I would say that this is an uh, empowering budget that covers for all sectors and um, all aspects to a certain extent. Uh, but one thing that I notice, uh, this budget will be lack of comprehensive strategy for a total tax reform. Uh, but if you look at it, I think this budget provides some sort of a balancing act uh, for instance, I think he has clearly laid out uh, a policy framework, you know, mm. in his Malaysia Madani uh, that his administration will have to align to, uh, which covers the pillars of sustainability, prosperity, innovation, respect, trust, and compassion for the people. So I think he has also emphasized his commitment to enhance efficiency in policy and system. Uh, to reduce vestiges and essentially um, I noticed that he focused on the problem solving uh, so that the country can move forward onto a more solid footing. Yeah, I think I think it's very interesting you say that, you know, it, it is it is setting in the right direction, but the actual details are still not there. I wonder if it's because the framing and interesting thing about this budget is that it's a retabled budget. And if you contrast the big difference between the budget that was retabled, you know, last November and this one, they're very different, isn't it, in nature? And the big distinction is G fifteen, where you had those that whole goodies that came out in the earlier budget. This one was lacking in goodies, isn't it? So what is the big distinction, in your view, between both budgets? Right. Um, in my view, I think the big distinction I could see, um, uh, the first thing he had introduced, new taxes. You know, um, If you look at it, they have, uh, he has introduced a luxury goods tax, uh, capital gains tax, uh, a new excise duty. And the other interesting point is the SVDP 2.0. Yeah, so that is from more from the tax perspective. But of course, if you look at the budget speech, I think um, he also mentioned about women, empowerment, but it's from the different perspective. Uh, if I were to compare the budget, or, or rather I call it as a Kaluaga Malaysia budget in the past, yeah. uh, he focused a lot of um, getting the women in the corporate um, uh, uh, ladder, whereas now he's focusing on reintegrating you know, the woman coming back to work after maternity, for example. Yeah, so so um, another one, um, it also attract my attention, would be the PTPTN mm. on the discount. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, this would be the brief distinction that I could see the difference between the two. 
Cool. And, you know, we, Trisha, thanks for joining us to the stu- in the studio. Um, I want to get, get your initial impressions, right, when you were listening to the Prime Minister give the speech. And he's no novice to this, right? He was finance minister 20 years ago, uh, but also noting that he's been in the job as Prime Minister for three months, right? What were your original impressions? So, hi, good morning, everyone, and uh, apologies for the delay. Uh, my initial impressions of the budget were that it sounded like a rather pragmatic but also cautious budget um, that was not ostentatious at the outset. You know, there were no major branding announcements, unlike some of the predecessors and some of the previous budgets. You know, every prime minister wants to label everything with their own uh, title. Every single program has an acronym and so on. So this one seems to be quite muted in that. I mean, there are some initiatives that are branded as a Madani um, sort of package. But other than that, it was just, okay, let, let's say it as it is. And I think that's also actually what he said in the budget speech, right? Like, you know, I'm going to be sticking to the facts. Um, but I think it's also really early days. I mean, also bear in mind that it's just been, what, two months mm. since the new government has come in. And yes, while um, Dr. Sri Anwar was very familiar with the position and job and this whole... Uh, you know, cycle of doing things. It has been many years. It has been many decades. So I think taking that kind of precautionary approach, uh, there were some good things, but I think there could have been some more ambitious announcements as well. But again, this is early days for the new government. Um, I think some of the ministers haven't really had the opportunity to learn much about some of the pre-existing structural problems uh, within certain ministries. So, you know, things like agriculture, for example. I mean, Bernas was mentioned several times, but there's not much about how Bernas actually is going to reform itself. Uh, Food security was mentioned as well. So that was my initial impression. Um, Some good announcements and hopefully we'll see more coming out from from a more structural perspective, not just in the upcoming budget, yeah. um, which is not very long from now for next year, as well as the industrial master plan. And I was just thinking about this budget 2024 is about six, seven months away. So, you know, we, we should cast our eyes very quickly on that very soon. But you made, both of you made a very interesting point that this budget perhaps lacked that courage, lacked that ambition. And I guess it was most evident in the structural reforms we were hoping for on the tax side. Yeah, because, but to be honest, uh, you know, Prime Minister Anwar did say leading up to it, he wouldn't be doing GST. It would be very hard. So many were hoping for some GST, some for some rationalization on subsidy or even some form of carbon tax. But that all didn't seem to materialize then. Why do you think he just couldn't, didn't want to, you know, take the plunge and make these hard decisions since this is the first election after G15? Dancing? Yeah. Um, now, my view here, um, I think like Trisha was saying, he is still new, and this is a, practically a new government. Uh, he need more times to uh, look at that. And of course, if you look at uh, what has been announced, practically um, he's only touching on the surface about, say, luxury goods tax, LGT, mm. capital gains tax. Even that, he mentioned uh, he need more time to study and also engage with the people. Um, well, what is important is they need to get the right mechanism. Uh, as you mentioned, it's lack of a structural kind of thing because when we have the right mechanism uh, in terms of how to implement, then what is important to the country, uh, we need to be um, in terms of um, what they call that, uh, executing, executing it, it yeah. in the right footing yeah. Yeah. for 
us because we also do we also want to be more competitive uh, in front of other uh, jurisdiction other countries uh, to get uh, investors to come to Malaysia. And so then just building on this whole point about devil is in the detail, the execution is very critical. I wonder when you was when you were reflecting on the budget, how realistic were the assumptions? How likely are we able to deliver on the top line number in executing and meeting the cost requirements, right? And I just want to get both your perspectives. How realistic do you think these assumptions are for the budget, especially on the 4.5% GDP growth, the ability for it to increase its tax collection? So I think we, I mean, as most of the world, nobody expected or predicted the pandemic to take place, right? Yeah. So uh, these assumptions are really on the back of assuming that the economy is going to recover, is going to bounce back. Um, no major crises can hit our shores. Uh, also also on the assumption of the, the revenue collections. So as we know, and perhaps we, we've already covered this before I came, um, the fact that this is the largest budget ever, a quite a heavily um, increased budget from the last one that Ismail Sabri's administration tabled, um, much, larger, much larger development expenditure. I have more to say about that, but maybe in a while. Um, and on the supposed lower deficit as well, which is good, and we hope to see this midterm target reduced, right, by uh, by three point five to three point two percent. Yeah. But the lower deficit is also on the back of expiry of the COVID nineteen fund and a slightly lower estimated operating expenditure. Um, how likely are these going to pan out? I think we've mentioned a little bit about the luxury tax and uh, the potential capital gains tax. Uh, these are again on the assumption that collections will actually be actually incremental enough or substantial enough to make a difference this year um, and that people are actually not going to move away their, their consumption patterns and habits while the tax is on. And the tax collection is core, isn't it? Because his hands are tied. If you look at our fiscal room for manoeuvring, it's quite limited, right? Public finances are very tight. In addition to the commitment to reduce our fiscal deficit from now 5.1% to 3.2% by 2025, you know, Lian Singh, then comes back again to the realism of the assumptions, right? especially on the tax collection. Are there any parts of the assumptions there where you feel it's really suspect and you think it doesn't really make sense? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Nicholas. I think if you look at the federal government revenue in the economic um, report, uh, when we talk about the tax revenue in terms of the direct taxes, the corporate income tax, in fact, uh, they are projecting an increase of $14.3 billion. Mm. And for individuals, they are projecting about $1.5 billion. And the other part is on the SST, projecting about $1.9 billion increase. So judging from here and looking at there's no new taxes except for LGT as well as CGT, where we also do not have the details at the moment, uh, my view here is that looking at the numbers, it's a little bit challenging as to where does this tax is going to come from. The only practical thing I can think of is the SVDP 2.0. If you reflect back in 2018 or 19, when SVDP 1.0 was uh, introduced, uh, at that point of time, the government has collected approximately about $7.8 billion. And for that, more than 286,000 uh, taxpayers actually participated. So now, a big question mark as to like with this SVDP 2.0, are we going to get, you know, approximately more than 10 billion yeah. additional collections? Uh, looking at LGT, uh, it's just a very, very, um, um, uh, I don't think they'll give much effect to the collection. And CGT, a lot of 
things that need to uh, uh, tidy up. I think a careful study needs to be carried out before they actually draft the legislation. All right, we're going to take a short break and come back to dissect the specifics of the initiatives in Budget 2023. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Welcome back. I'm Philip C. And we continue our coverage on Budget 2023 with Dr. Trisha Yeo from IDS and Solian Singh from KPMG. As we now shift the conversation from the bigger picture themes of Budget 2023 to now the specific details. Now, you know, Lian Singh, just now you were saying that the revenue collection seems very hard, right? And I think a key element of this is the tax initiatives. When you listen to this, right, they seem to be you know, taxing all at the periphery and not addressing the structural issues. So you see the tax on luxury, you see the tax on e-cigarettes, vape tax, you see the capital gains tax on shale of private share companies. How consequential are these taxes? Well, if you look at um, luxury tax, group tax, good tax, uh, at the moment, if you look at it, no details has been provided. But if you look at other countries, for example, uh, this has been levied as an indirect tax um, type of taxes. So for countries who have GST, then um, it's easier for them to just impose. Uh, I think in the context of Malaysia, um, the consumption equivalent tax will be sales tax. So uh, a question mark will be whether this uh, LGT will be imposed upon importation of the goods mm. or upon selling by the retailer. So if you look at it in that um, uh, circumstances, uh, there's a details that need to sort out because as at now retailer they don't register for sales tax. For and we example. don't know whether it's being implemented this year, right? Because yeah, we also do not know whether details. it's going to be implemented this year. Mm. You know, in terms of that. And one interesting point is, I think we have been promoting uh, to be a tourist and shopping destination. So with the sales tax, assuming it's being implemented, this will be a single tax. So um, there's a need to look at how do we want to. Uh, having a mechanism of uh, getting back some of these taxes when the tourists come here. So this is the part where behaviour of the consumer, we have yet to be seen, as well as businesses' impact in terms of that. Can I just say, it's so much easier to cut taxes than to introduce new taxes, isn't it? That's one of the biggest conundrums we have. It's easy to shift taxes and shift it to the M40. It's easy to give tax relief to medical expenses, right? So Trisha... That's a big conundrum here, isn't it? It's hard to impose all these new taxes. The implementation endeavour is key. But the government has also, in tandem, launched a whole series of tax cuts, right? Essentially, especially targeted at the M40. Is this a case of taxing the rich and paying the poor? Yeah, I want to talk about this. I mean, I'll, I'll come to that question. But so what we are talking about really is reforming the tax system because we are being fiscally squeezed, right? So on the one hand, it's good that the government has announced its commitment or renewed its commitment rather uh, to table two specific acts which are supposed to deal with this fiscal squeeze. So one is the Fiscal Responsibility Act um, and the second is the Government Procurement Act. So we've been calling for these two pieces of legislation for a very long time. It's really good to see that that's happening. Um, I hope that we will also be consulted because they are very important laws and they should be welcomed by all, right, regardless of political divide. But at the same time, um, I think I agree with Lian saying here that the tax system that's being introduced as well as the tax cuts um, don't seem to address the very core. And as you say, 
cutting these taxes will also make it very difficult to restore them in the future. So right now, the picture that's being painted in the budget speech is that uh, the T20 has to sacrifice, give up a lot of space in order for the M20 to flourish in a bit better mm, way. Mm. Um, I think we also need to be clear, like, who are the T20 and who are the M20? I mean, some of these luxury goods that are being talked about, like because we don't know the details, um, are the M20 actually already purchasing some of these luxury goods? And, you know, what, what are the luxury goods? Are we talking about ele- electronic items that actually the M20 also uses? But surely, um, yes, it's, it, it seems clear that the income tax uh, initiatives are seemingly targeting the T20. So the, that's, the, that's the story that's being sold here. But going back a little bit to the fiscal space and the debt issue. So while we um, welcome some of the numbers, but I think we also need to <clears throat> ask the question about the fact that we have increasingly high levels of debt servicing charge. So that's the DSC, and that's borne by the government. So it's actually risen from 14% in 2022 and estimated to increase to 16% of the estimated federal revenue this year. And this actually exceeds the limit of 15% that's set by the government's own administrative guidelines. So uh, we need to be cautious, and meaning that Yes, while the government does expect this increase um, in revenue, but whether or not we're going to be able to service our debt in the long term, fiscal space still going to be squeezed. Which is then a debate, right? Here is this short-term tensions that are coming through, but at the same time, we need to cast our eyes on the future. And I want to break this casting our eyes on the future into two parts, you know. How do we help people rebuild their savings? And I thought the government made some really interesting ideas about adding contributions back into EPF. I wonder whether you think that's a step in the right direction or whether it is just yes, but not enough. And that's one part, right, about, I think, trying to rebuild people's savings, but at the same time, trying to limit the goodies. How do you strike the right balance, right? Because in the past, we've always known budget as all about giving goodies in the short term. Yansing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose um, from the um, government's perspective, people is very important. The raya is very important. And I think the government would need to strike a balance in terms of that. Without the people's support, then uh, it is very difficult to sustain in terms of that. So the EPF initiative, while this is good for the social obligation point of view, hmm. but if you look at it, whether that will contribute back to uh, future um, uh, investment of the government? The answer is no. Uh, but maybe uh, the focus should be more of looking at creating more jobs, highly paid jobs in terms of um, uh, the, 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 the situation. Yeah. Right. And is that the role of the development expenditure budget in your view, right? The job creation element here because there was much higher DEVEX coming through $99 billion. Of course, you take into account some of the 1MDB payments. It's still a relatively large number right, compared to past budgets. Tricia? Okay, so um, I'll answer the development expenditure question first and then talk about this idea of investing into the future. So we always welcome a higher development expenditure over operating expenditure because the idea behind that is that the government of the day is able to invest into something that will provide us with investment into health, education, that kind of development for the long-term future. Mm. However, if you look closely um, at the development expenditure, while it increased from $75.6 billion to $97 billion, that's a huge amount, um, 
Almost 50% of this increase is actually due to the increase in DEVEX of the Ministry of Finance. So is Ministry of Finance and not actually other ministries like commodities, agriculture, food security, rural development, domestic trade, and so on. So those actually only receive less than 10% of the increase in DEVEX. Um, the other ministries that are quite high as well in their increase would be Ministry of Foreign Affairs, um, METI, and the Development of Entrepreneur Development and Cooperatives. But MOF is the one that takes the lion's share of it. Uh, there's a new allocation of about 500 million ringgit for high-impact projects um, and people's welfare, but it's part in MOF. And we don't know the details And of not that. Ministry of Works, Rural Development, Local Government, and so on. So it is really interesting. I mean, that's only preliminary at the moment. Um, I would love to know why uh, the DEVEX is attributed to this increase in actually something you know called allocation of capital injection from 11.7 billion to 23.1 billion. So we would need to do some further analysis mm. to look at the details of the MOF allocations. You know, what is it that they believe MOF is going to um, engage in more development in, instead of the other ministries that actually have portfolios in their works? But I also want to answer the other question, which is that, um, yes, th this budget, it, it's, the idea is, yes, you're trying to rebuild savings, but, you know, that amount of money is not going to last for a very, very long time. So if we have such an, a huge increase of development expenditure, the question is, are we investing it into the private sector, which is supposed to be this whole, the idea of engine of growth and so on, right? Um, and I'm not sure whether we have the answer. Yes, private sector is mentioned several times in the budget yes. speech, but it's more about private sector coming in to help the government in their own initiatives rather than creating this flourishing environment for private sector to be able to expand and, you know, yeah. industry focus. And that's your point, right? I think when you look at the DevEx, is it facilitating private investments? You don't see mega projects as much, right? You're seeing some targeted parts at Iskandar, you're seeing some parts at the neighbourhood towns bordering Sumatra as we hit see the new capital, right? Then saying, what are the key DevEx considerations say when you looked at the number? No, when I look at it, yeah, we don't have the details um, and I don't think I'm able to uh, comment much on that. But if I look from the other angle, I think this budget, they also focus a lot of SMEs and this uh, perhaps uh, provide more on the domestic kind of uh, uh, market in terms of that. Uh, if you look at that uh, from the tax point of view, uh, the MS, uh, SME uh, have gotten a reduction of corporate income tax, uh, though it's not much, uh, some uh, parties may be hoping to have uh, the reduction for the first 1 million instead of just mm. 150,000. But of course, if you compare to the previous budget, it's, it's, it's better because the previous budget uh, talking about first 100,000. And if you look at the SMEs group, there's a lot of uh, location being located. Uh, uh, for example, to upgrade the small and hawker stores, the kiosks, upgrade the premises and facilities, even the loan facilities. So uh, from this angle, uh, perhaps the current focus by the government is more the SMEs uh, part of it. As opposed to the larger corporates. Now we're going to continue this conversation on this special extended breakfast grill on Budget 2023 and afternoon news. We extend our lens on the implications of future budgets and the broader political and social impact of Budget 2023. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9 You are listening to The Breakfast Grill brought to you by U Mobile. 5G now with you. 
Welcome back and thanks for staying joined with us for this special Extended Breakfast Grill. I'm Philip C and not Nicholas C. And today we have a stellar lineup of experts unpacking the nitty-gritty of Budget 2023. But with me today to get the bird's eye view of Budget 2023, I have with me Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas and Soliancing, Head of Tax at KPMG in Malaysia. Now, Trisha, it is a pragmatic but also a populist budget. And I wonder when you look at the landscape going forward, right? In about less than four months, we have the six state elections. Did Prime Minister Anwar take that into consideration when he tabled this budget? So it's interesting. Um, there were some mentions of allocations to state governments, right? So you're talking about allocations to Malacca and Penang for UNESCO. Um, it also included 30 million ringgit for agro-food cooperation with certain unspecified states. So that's not being very clear. We need to look at the actual budget document. Um, I think that on the one hand, there are some good features that were mentioned in the speech, especially about Sabah and Sarawak, you mm. know, some of these development that needs to happen in the poorer states of the country. However, it also tells us that you know, as we have said time and again, um, structurally speaking, any allocations to state governments really need to come out in a more uh, holistic and systematic manner. Yeah. Uh, because right now, all these are very discretionary. Like, how are decisions actually being made um, for state governments and how sure are we that decisions are not going to be influenced by some kind of a political affiliation. So, for example, you've got 2.5 billion ringgit for public infrastructure projects in Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, the Pan Borneo Highway is mentioned again. Uh, I'm, I have yet to see a budget speech Still. in which that <laughs> Pan Borneo Highway phrase is not mentioned. The special grant to Sarawak, as we know, increased from 16 to 300 million ringgit. That's yeah. a significant jump. So, I, can, I guess, I mean, these are the, not the states that are going into a state election, but how are considerations being made for that kind yeah. of budget? Yeah. Um, and if you're talking about the the budget that's going to take place after the state elections, I think that's also going to be very interesting, but it will depend very much on the state election outcomes. I'm very keen to understand also how do you think budget 2024 will be like, right? Because it's less than six, seven months away. Lansing, do you think you will be bold and courageous in budget 2024 then? Now, um, I, I look at budget 2023 is moving in the right direction. Um, no doubt there's um, not much of uh, uh, new taxes uh, being introduced or big reform being introduced. Uh, my view here is at the moment he needs some stability. Mm. So uh, he needs to maintain that um, and he needs to actually keep the people's welfare as their priority. So uh, the next six months, whether are we going to see a big change? Uh, I'm hoping to see that, at least a comprehensive strategy to put in place for a big um, tax reform in terms of that. Yeah, let's just talk about that tax reform a bit further, right? Because one of the big things that I think surprised people was this whole capital gains, gains again on disposable of unlisted shares. I want to just get your thought, Lian, saying from a bigger standpoint, right, was this an investor-friendly budget? Because you don't have any more of this Chukai Makmore stuff going f anymore, right? So with this new tax, is this a sign of the shocks that, you know, might affect the investment community then? Well, I think Malaysia is one of the few countries that do not have this CGT, capital gains tax. And uh, if you look at it from the investor's point of view, uh, I think what is important is to look at how they are going to implement that. At the moment, obviously, we don't have the details. Uh, but what I was hoping is that the new legislation, ever the uh, CGT to be implemented, 
is to be drafted and take into account a few points. Uh, example, the CGT rate, because at the moment, they are only looking at taxing the unlisted shares. Now, so when we talk about uh, equality, what about the listed shares? You know, so that's one point. Um, I think it was proposed that the CGT rate will be low, but it is still uncertain whether the rate will be a fixed rate or a progressive rate and um, whether it is also comparable with the real property gains tax mm. uh, that currently in force. The other important, I, I believe, investor is also looking at it will be the mechanism to determine the capital gain amount. Because currently, we are looking at whether they will have a mechanism of determining the basis of valuation of the share disposed and also the availability of those allowable deductions because this kind of transaction will incur some kind of expenses. So whether that will be allowable. And if you look at the current corporate tax regime, uh, we are allowed to carry forward some of these losses or offset against some of these losses against the income. But whether in this new CGT, would that um, mm. availability in terms of that? One last important is when we talk about this CGT, we are talking about internal restructuring. So the concept of disposal, uh, not all transactions involve cash. It can be a non-cash transaction, maybe a share swap, for example. So without that, then they may have some impact to the group. Uh, what is important is the exemption. Hopefully that will get. So more questions and answers when I hear you. I wonder then the bigger more question and answers problem is also job creation here. Because, you know, if we want to really build a revenue base, we need people who are actually working right and actually contributing to the tax base. Do we get a sense from Budget 2023 whether there is a clear pathway towards higher quality job creation here? Patricia. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the private sector initiatives are actually, you know, an invitation for private sector to come in and join in with the government on its existing initiatives. So public-private partnerships, um, a lot of mention on TVET, for example, how private sector can play a role. Uh, tourism, you know, introducing, yeah. you know, improving logistics. Um, they also talked about SCs, creation of secondary markets for private market instruments. So I think there's some mention here and there as to whether it will really contribute to job creation. Um, there is mention of GLCs offering 350,000 jobs to school leavers and graduates. Wow, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um, and I think it's not something new. We've seen in other budgets already where offerings of government uh, or government agencies or GLC jobs being created for this purpose to address, at that time it was COVID unemployment. But my question has always been consistent, right? Like, are these jobs going to be productive jobs? At the end of the day, job creation is not just for welfare purposes. I mean, we cannot see it that way. Then we will never produce a productive nation. Yeah. The, the jobs that are created are meant to improve um, outcomes developmentally for the country. It has to be productive. Um, if these are just jobs created for the sake of it, I mean, the GLCs themselves have to bear the cost yeah. of creating these Where's additional the jobs. For them, and it's not efficient. Yeah. And already, I think questions are being asked. I mean, GLCs are addressed in the budget speech, but at the same time, you create these jobs. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure whether doing it in this method is actually going to be useful in the long run. Much better would have been to have this, again, organic enterprise, uh, private sector-led jobs that are created that are needed, useful, productive for long-term and future development of the country. And so 
you know, for the question posed to both of you now, we've had about nearly 50, 60 hours to digest the budget. You know, who was the biggest winner and the biggest loser of this budget? Gensing. Well, my view, if I go back to the personal income tax adjustment, there's a reduction at the M40 level. So that will actually uh, give more disposable income to this group of people. So I will uh, uh, reckon that um, they will spend more on their food as well as consumer items. So to me, I think in terms of sector, the consumable sector or food sector will be the biggest winner in terms of that. Uh, not forgetting with some of the proposal to extend some of the tax incentive, for example, E&E, uh, that will be also uh, the next sector that will be gaining the, the winning. Uh, I think with the new excise duty that proposed to impose on the e-cigarettes, for example, perhaps the tobacco industry will be the mm. most loser. And Dr. Shusha, who is the biggest winner and the biggest loser here? Well, there are some winners, you know, the M, uh, the middle class M40 group, I've also mentioned that. Um, the manufacturing sector, I think, might be might stand to gain just because of the new industrial master plan. And then there are some sectors, so women returning to work, um, you know, I should actually take advantage of that. <laughs> no, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> the DNB looks here to stay. I mean, we didn't talk about that, yes. uh, but with greater transparency, whatever that means. There's some allocations, good allocations for national unity, actually. So sports, culture, arts, that kind of thing. And also the palm oil uh, sector, perhaps 80 million dedicated to counter anti-palm oil campaigns. Um, and then some SMEs. So I think we do have some winners. The biggest losers, I think it would really be yeah, industries in the sectors in which taxes are going to increase. So businesses mm. in luxury goods, you know, we have to also consider the impact um, this will be on their industry itself. And of course, we know that the wealthiest being taxed higher. Lansing, Trisha, I think we could talk for another one and a half hours on Budget 2023, but unfortunately we're short of time. Again, let me just wish a, a warm thank you to Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Ideas, and So Lansing, Head of Tax at KPMG in Malaysia, for helping us unpack Budget 2023. I'm Philip C. This is The Breakfast Grill, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.